0: just me and tim this time with water and nothing because it's a tuesday before st patrick's day (laughs) and we're recording a podcast that's right that's right parenting 101 covid lockdown-ish situation stay inside
1: that's right i think right actually we were outside i was outside today
0: um do you drink the day before st patrick's day or st patrick's day itself i don't remember it's been so long (laughs)
1: Are you supposed like, to stop drinking ever?
0: Yeah. It, 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 does that happen on the get back? I'm not sure how things go like that. Regardless of the drinking thing, we are back with the two of us going through wonderful new guitar topics, and I'm going to take the initiative on this one. Oh man! A, yeah. It. Uh, I read. I was just reading an article on classical guitar amplification and it totally ties into what we were talking about with your three things the last time a little bit and i don't want to like rehash the subject but come at it from a particular classical point of view because the points that you were making about the amp being an extension of the instrument Oh yeah that's, right. yeah, that's right.
1: I was trying to remember the three different things. Now I remember.
0: Yeah, okay. yeah. So the uh, the point that you were making about the amp being an extension of the instrument is ex- kind of the ex- same exact thing that this article was pushing at, really, really hard. And that for a classical guitarist, and I totally am in this camp, it's a matter of I don't want the amp doing anything to the sound besides making it louder. Like no All EQ. Right. Everything comes through exactly direct. And it w- it had Waco in it, Benjamin Verdery. Um, and a couple uh, the other world class performers talking about having to play with an amplification system <laughs> just because they were doing certain venues that were not conducive you know and it ended with an incredible point because it, you know it goes through and talks about all their, their great experiences their bad experiences and how like Bart Waco's search for the great system happened when he was premiering a <laughs> breaking of his hand on a music stand the <laughs> no, <laughs> when he was um, playing, uh, premiering a Takamitsu piece, was a it was a uh, quintet and hymn, and the amplification system was, like, way too loud. and uh, Yima, If you're familiar with Takamitsu, his music is extraordinarily subtle in his dynamics and uh, quiet and, like, the guitar just came through when its part came in, just super loud and drowned everything out, and yeah, it totally yeah. killed the piece. And he's like, after that, I was looking for something where that would never happen again. And so he uses like a, a Neumann plugged in through a DI, uh, uh, or not a DI, um, uh, preamp into the another system to, to amplify his guitar. And I'm like, well, you know, not all of us have 10K to drop on a system like that <laughs> with the, in the, that in mind. But uh, every single one of the guitar players had the same exact philosophy in the classical realm of all we want is our guitar to be out there. And that's it. Nothing else done to it yeah. like, don't, don't add any reverb, I mean, as much as I love reverb, don't add anything to it because we want that particular thing uh and the it ended with a really good pseudo philosophical question point about classical guitar. she's like, do we uh Zhang was making the, this point, and she's like, uh do we honestly have a idea of what our guitar sounds like in its purest form, or is it?' we're always playing off the room so we don't actually know completely what the guitar sounds like because we're always playing off of what the room is designed for you and, and also the, your the,
1: sitting the location right yeah,
0: yeah totally i mean just th- from that point of playing it in different uh, angles the, the other day or the other podcast um so that was an interesting point it's like well she, it's a good one because that definitely changes depending on where you're at your guitar will sound different it'll still sound like your guitar to an extent, but the colors will be a little bit off or, or something, depending on uh, where you're at. And I, always, I that was a fascinating tank, so that was uh, sitting in my brain when we started this thing up tonight. So I'm just curious to see what you think. Yeah,
1: it's interesting because it made me think of. <clears throat> I heard uh, Josh Smith. We talked about him a little bit before. He's great guitar player. When he first moved to LA, he was talking about how he, he was trying to get into like session work. And then he he had kind of a name when he went there so I think it helped a little bit getting some session work but he would just kind of show up and do the parts and as he wanted to get better at it he became friendly with Mike Landau and Michael Landau has been on like thousand records or something you know and what he noticed was Mike brought all of his own mics to every session he brought his own preamps he played he put the mics on the amps he didn't let the engineer do it like he was very particular about he knew what stuff sounded like he he took responsibility for how it got recorded and what the sound was and it wasn't like oh just trust the engineer kind of thing like yeah, yeah. and it, it was like really it was Joshua was really enlightening and then he was like well I need to learn like where do you put mics and what kind of mics should I use for certain sounds and how do I need to do this? So when you said that Barweco brought his, you know, Neumann and the preamp is like, you know, if you're going to be somewhere where you're going to get mic'd, especially as a professional, perhaps you should take it upon yourself to provide the right thing to get the sound you want. Yeah. Like if, like if you're, if you're going to <laughs> play somewhere and, and you're like, well, I hate when they put that mic on my guitar. Well, then why don't you bring a mic? <laughs> <laughs> or you're like, well, I hate the way that pre- they don't even have a mic preamp. They're just using the what's on the board, and that's a crappy board or whatever. Maybe you should bring your own preamp, too. You know, just like taking responsibility for it.
0: What, and, just to kind of interject real quick, uh, yeah. one of the other things, too, well, where was I going? There was a point to what I, I was going to point you know a lot of pointing going on to your point on that but one of the yeah oh here it is okay uh what, one last thing in the article is barweco uses a studio monitor for his amp or one of them did I don't think it was barweco but another one was like the studio what do you, what do you monitor, mean
1: what do you mean as an amp
0: I mean as something to amplify the sound of the guitar where, where the would output.
1: that be loud enough to help very much I wonder
0: well, that's the other point with classical guitar. We're not looking to, like, shake stadium. We just want to be able to cut through the other stuff that we're playing, uh, pl- other instruments that we're playing with, yeah, generally. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't see, like, if they were going to say, like, oh, this guy's selling out a 50,000-person stadium, you know, solo classical guitar, let's just say in, in Dream Land or whatever, I can't say see a classical guitarist being happy with any of the sound that he got in a room like that. Like unless the technology at that point is totally different than what we have now, yeah, it was sure. super loud, no subtlety, no nothing. It be, bah, you just wanted to make sure that the guy sitting in the last row could hear it clear. That's it. Um, and so I think the studio monitor thing because mine get pretty stinking loud. Like you know they're not over hundred watts yeah i mean they're certainly louder.
1: they're louder than an acoustic guitar
0: i think <laughs> so is this human voice but you know whatever uh the uh hmm. but i think that the uh that the idea is that a studio monitor is designed to be as neutral as possible so you can adjust everything on the other end like whether right. it be software or through playing and that just had me thinking it's like that's a brilliant idea i mean it would be a pain in the butt to. It's already a pain in the butt to drag a PA, a mic, and everything else out there. Uh, but you know, it just comes with the territory. But with the studio monitors, it's like that would be an incredible sound. And
1: perhaps I wonder how they fill a room though, like yeah, the, the, the way problems. the way they project and the, their point, you know, more pointy sound. Like, that's a problem with guitar amps too, right? Is they're very directional, so mm-hmm. like wherever you point them. It sounds a lot different than somewhere else, which is another point of like, do you really know what you sound like? Like, yeah, like you're not like sitting when, sitting you st- when you're when you're standing up and the amps going by your feet, you're not really hearing what's coming out of the amp directly. You, and if you set up your sound that way, which we all do, um, and you get to a sound that you like, well, more than likely, it's a lot brighter <laughs> to somebody. You know, if like if here's my amp. Yeah. Somebody over there in like 20 feet away, it sounds really bright and it doesn't have that nice bass response and all those kind of things. But to you, it sounds good because you're standing next to it and you're not really getting the full blast of, the, of what it really sounds like. Mm-hmm. So then when you hear it through a mic, you might be like, man, that sounds like crap through the mic. But how do you know that that's not actually what you're doing, right? You have to actually walk away from your amp and try to hear it from a different point and I think the same thing I, I noticed that a lot when I'm playing like more acoustic-y type instruments too it's like you get this sound and you really like what it sounds like near you and then you go to mic it and it doesn't sound like that yeah and you put that- a mic you put a mic here or something you put a mic here you put a mic you're know, like you can never get that sound that you hear that sounds so nice that you get you know that you that you want to hear or even with the amp I think I was telling you that like was that like a couple a month or two ago it was this guitar too like where i was trying to get this sound and i was really messing around with different mic placements and stuff yeah just to try to get the actual sound that i was hearing (laughs) like how -hmm. do i how do i capture that like that's all i want to do the simplest thing in the world is capture the sound that i'm hearing in the room and it's not so easy you know it's but to, like the mike Lando thing or like barwicko and other, it's like you bring your own like once you figure out how to get to that thing mm-hmm. if you go do a session somewhere then it's up to you to tell the engineer that this is how you get that sound or whatever
0: yeah i had a it, gig lined up pre well not pre-covid well yeah pre-covid ish and uh it was ready to go and it didn't cancel anything else but one of the things that they asked is like well what type of mic do you want you know yeah. this is a pretty big space and so on and i'm like you know what i'm bringing my own i got these road nt 5s here yeah you know, as long as you have phantom power let's use these mics because i i would suspect it would have been like something along an sm57 or maybe a little bit of, of higher quality but still in that range and and you, you do want a unidirectional uh, microphone in the live performance just for feedback issues, but um, the underlying thing of like, I really like the sound I get out of these, these. right? Well, actually, them. you
1: knew them too. It's kind of funny. Like, if they would have been like, "Well, I have two U87s," you might be yeah. te- you might be tempted to use them, yeah. but do you know how to use them?
0: exactly Exactly. like you might
1: might think oh yeah i'm going to use these and then they're like man it doesn't really sound as good as by roads and it's not because they're not they couldn't sound as good but you never had the chance to like spend 10 hours trying to figure out where exactly you want to put them and what mic preamp should you use and what kind of whatever this and that and you you know to figure out the deal with them yeah it's kind of it's kind of interesting to think about so, yeah. yeah, it's anyways.
0: Uh, so that was just on my mind. It's like, huh, No, that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's topic applicable. It's continuing the last kind of thread of right. conversation. So go back to the yeah. other podcast if you didn't listen to it. Exactly. I don't know what episode that was. At four, I think it was four.
1: Well, it's, I think it was the last one. Pretty much. Maybe right? it was the last one. It's like the, was, yeah, the three types of. Basically, just to summarize what that was was there's sort of seems to me there might be three different types of amp users and we're all we all might take different roles depending on a a gig too or whatever or a band or whatever but there's the sort of what adam was talking about that type one i think it was which was all you really want is it just to be louder thing you don't want to change at all you don't want to get that then there's people that use an amp as an extension of their instrument like it's just as important as the guitar like if they're using it they want the feedback and the the way that it reacts to certain notes and they're trying to keep it at certain points where it's like a using it to get the sound that they need it's it's almost like I don't know the bell of a saxophone or something like it might as well be part of the instrument and without that they're they're not really playing and then there's the third type which I would say is more like people that have they use a lot of different sounds and effects and stuff and that's part of what they're projecting and it's less about the amp itself, even though they might like the sound of it. They're not. It could be a lot of different things. But anyway, those are the three types. Anyways, learn so, more later.
0: <laughs> you refer to podcast episode five um the other thing uh let's just keep going through my list of ideas right. that uh, of topics that we start texting and go oh maybe perhaps we'll, let's save it for the podcast that's, that's hard like, that's that that takes like, a lot of discipline. stop talking to me yeah he said stop stop talking about it. Shut i shut have up. so many ideas you keep your mouth shut this is good material so let's uh let's dive into the uh, the since we mentioned studio musicians earlier when you're talking about josh smith and lando studio playing and artistic var- variety like the idea of playing in a studio what is the goal with that what happens to you uh, potentially as an artist and where you kind of break do you break molds or you fall into a mold because you're getting paid for it that's a big particular thing or do you just have your own voice at what point Like, do you start out doing exactly what they want? And as you get to reputation, do you start to expand that? You know, where do you, uh, how are those things going? Because I've done, uh, I'll just speak to my, uh, my own experience. I've done studio sessions and generally it goes particularly with the classical guitar. So usually the part's completely written out. Everything is just exactly as it should be. And you go in and you you do it and that's it. And it's like the last thing that I worked on, particularly for a game, was that was more of an online thing. So I had my own setup, so I knew exactly what sound I was going to get and what I wanted. And, you know, I sat literally in that chair over there with the mics. And uh, the cool thing with Studio One is having the remote. So I have my Surface there that I use to remote control the recording and just do another take. And it's because once I sit, that's it. I'm not moving until it's done just uh, yeah. to, to make sure that it, it all sounds the same. And uh, we ended up doing it over the, like I did like a r- rough takes, sent it to him. He's like, okay, what about this, 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 and this, and this? I'm like, you know what? Let's just do a stream. And you, so we just get the instant feedback rather than take like two weeks of communication and sending yeah, sure. back and forth, Just do it. And we did, and it worked out great. Like it was kind of interesting to have that immediate feedback well, it wasn't interesting. It was extraordinarily helpful. You know, being like, you know, it, it's there like playing know. chess by mail or something like that. It's like, well, it's going to be about a week before I find out what this guy yeah. does. But you know, and um, so there's that aspect of it. And then there's another one that I did uh, where I played for Helen Wells. So I did an arrangement of the uh, the Christmas song "Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire." You know that thing. Um, but I took Bach's first cello suite. And use that as the motive through the entire piece, like reharmonize it and everything, but it kept that booba di da da di da going. Yeah, right. uh, if I can even remember, what is it? There it is. <laughs> that's that's where I did it in that particular song. It's been a long yeah. time since I played it. Um, but uh, with that, it was like it was one of those uh, t- uh, we were talking about working together, and I had all these different ideas and sketches, and then i as I was falling asleep one night, ju- I was just like, wait a minute hold on you know like the the melody and i'm like i wonder if that'll work so i sat down because it was singer specific and i didn't want to capo it so i was like that let's just see if it'll fit in the key and i'll just do the do like the first like five bars and see if that works and i ended yeah. up staying up for like hours going through the entire thing and i sent it to her and or we sat down together and i played it for her and she started saying she's like this is great let's do it okay done and a, you know a couple, about like uh that was for a live performance and about a year later she wanted to record it and that's pulled out the sheet music worked it back up again and went in uh it sits pretty well so with my situations being specialized quote-unquote in the, to that aspect, It's. I'm always doing what somebody else has written. Uh, of course, for one other quick take on something, of mm-hmm. another tune that I was working with a, a, a guy in, in Florida online again now, where it was like he was working on a track and we were working on uh, he was doing all of the arranging stuff and it was great watching him work because he's absolutely like one of those guys with a DAW is not something separate from him, it's just completely just flying through it like it's another instrument and uh, that was cool. And, like, he sent me the track, and I'm like, oh, dude, I hear, I totally hear this guitar part over at Steel String Lies. Hang on a second. And, like, I recorded and sent it back to him. I don't know if he's going to officially use it or not, but uh, it sounded really cool. And yeah. um, so that was, like, more of a creative aspect than me. But that was, like, the one time. Or, no, there was a, the sessions with Seth as well. That was all just me doing stuff. So, um, so there. It, I'd say two were more of a, on the creative aspect of my own voice, and the rest of them were completely classical. Outside of the thing with Helen, where it was classical-ish, <laughs> so yeah. The, so now, we, so, but played through.
1: Yeah. So I guess the to add a little context to the discussion too is it what this kind of came up with was? Are you are you not you rhetorically? Are you working? As someone who are you getting hired to be someone else so to speak like to play a part or are you working on your career in a way that a career or whatever your your artistic journey that you're creating your own voice and that when people hire you or put you in their groups it's to be you, and it's kind of an interesting sort of take because there's, there's obviously a lot of people in either camp, and <laughs> and we were even talking about um, you were like, well, obviously I'm in the the classical world, so I'm I'm just being the copier, and and my take on that was actually like, well, I don't know if that's true because you're doing your interpretation. <laughs> it's it's your interpretation of those pieces. It's <laughs> it's Adam Keeler's interpretation that people hire, right? Yeah. Um, they're not saying, "Hey, be th- do the Christopher Parkinine version of this Bach piece, and then do the Julian Bream version of this piece, and you know, or whatever." And mm-hmm. uh, they're saying, "Hey, well, yeah, we well, come do your thing," basically, which mm-hmm. is different than the, a lot of the like studio work, um, and a lot of the you know just sideman gig sort of stuff. I think that isn't that how it came up. It came up. There's that movie, um, hired gun. gun. Yeah. Yeah. We're like. For the most, part, then the people that are working there, they're they're there to play a role, um, and for the most part, not bring their sh- spiel to it. <laughs> yeah, you know, like almost becoming like uh, overly generic in a sense, so that they don't stick out in front of the lead performer. There's plenty of hired gun people that that wasn't true. You know, when Steve yeah, I Steve I played for White Snake. It sounds like Steve I played for White Snake, like mm-hmm. you know it doesn't. It doesn't sound the same. Like in, they that was sort of intentional or whatever. So it's a little bit. So, so some people bring in that kind of um, thing. It's like oh, you know, if you bring Steve I on a session, you're. It doesn't make sense for you to be like, hey, can you just play it like, this style or whatever, you know. You would you would be like, hey, this is what we're doing. This is kind of you know you would kind of let him do his thing. That's that's part of the reason you're hiring someone like that. Mm-hmm.
0: I um, actually saw a session of his. He recorded the same soundtrack to Halo Two, yeah, the game, and uh, they brought him in and like it, it's a funny video because it's like 15 minutes or something like that. It's not a super long thing. And seeing what he did in the session. Like he started out and he did this crazy feedback thing with the whammy bar and dives, and then he does this absolutely insane, you know. If Steve Vai could be Steve Vai, this is Steve Vai, <laughs> you know, thing yeah, over yeah. top of it, and it's just insane shredding, and and the guys in the, the in the room are kind of like chuckling because you know he's just being him. And uh, the game comes out, and the first—the only thing you hear in the game is that feedback, and then that's it.
2: Oh, really? Nice.
0: <laughs> it's like, oh, all that, and it's that little snippet. Or like Andy McKee played on a, a Josh Groban's Christmas album, and they did uh, Little Drummer Boy. And all it was was, like, I was expecting, like, this cool, like, rhythmic th- tapping thing on the guitar to, to come through. And it was literally just, like... <laughs> like... And just in the drop D, I was like, "Dude, you're gonna change the harmony?" And I don't think that was him. Uh, I think that was the producers. Mm-hmm. Just like he would do, dunk, do, dunk, dunk, do boom, and just, right. like hit the strings, and they like barely used what this guy is capable of to like put it in there. And I it get makes, it makes possible. you wonder.
1: Well, I don't know what his fee was, and if it was any more than the standard rate or whatever, but. You probably it's like,
0: took notes on it and everything else. Like, the but way it's like, guy. why
1: would you? Why would you pay the extra for that if all you were gonna do was, you
0: know, wh- Take that particular it, thing? That's, yeah.
1: a, that's the thing. Like, with, like Saturani always is annoying. It's like, you get this great band, and then you're like, nope, you can't play. Yeah. Don't expect it. I want you to sound like the MIDI thing I make, made in 1983.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like I had the old Sash tapes. Is that what it's called? Uh, that was, uh, that, no, that was from, uh, what the hell was that album? Uh, the Extremist. And then the other one where it's just Joe Satriani.
2: Yeah. I had
0: this VHS tape, really dating myself on that one. Uh, that, you know, he came out of all his, like, sessions of the, the, and, him working on right. the album. And, like, hearing what the guys were coming up with, I was like, that is freaking cool! You know, like, Nathan East on bass, and uh, I can't remember the dude on rhythm guitar, and uh, just, uh, or the drummer, uh, I think it was maybe Mike... And Genie, but i'm i think i've just that's an
1: album the self-titled one
0: yeah the like the bluesy wasn't one. that
1: dennis chambers or someone on there i think
0: maybe probably i mean i'm
1: that, I'm, that one actually has killer backtrack like throughout yeah you, you kind of let agree. the band actually play
0: but you should have seen the sessions it was like that is a cool direction to take like, there was yeah, right. that like there's other directions that it was like that's really cool and not that the, i loved the final product personally but uh the uh just seeing that, like all that other killer material sitting in the background that doesn't get used is, Oh, uh, yeah. is just, oh man. Um, <laughs> so anyways, I mean, I just, get it. I
1: mean, obviously he's, yeah, it's he's him. much more popular for not doing it in a way. So,
0: yeah. And, and that's, and that's kind of what gives him that respect amongst the other players. And I, I love this music. I, I, I still do. Um, it, but there's clearly more, how do I say this? Uh, Definitely, people have stood on his shoulders and taken it to other directions and levels. Like no doubt about it. Um, but without him, you know, we there was we, like it, it was him and Eric Johnson when I was younger that were the guy, instrumental guys on the radio. Like that, sure. like had the instrumental songs like surfing, or uh, "Summer Song" was huge. I mean, an instrumental electric guitar song. Yeah, was they, had, they, had the
1: radio, they had that radio. They had that commercial.
0: Yeah, the car commercial. I can't remember. It's for, But uh, not only that, but it was on the radio all the time and everybody knew what it was. You know, I played that song in a coffee shop with my cover band. You know, we're talking a small coffee shop. I got my P5150, my PRS set up and played the thing like note for note with that and kind of like blew the windows off the place to where everybody's like, you know used to folk guy and I come in with my my drummer that had a double bass drum (laughs) you know we can barely fit on the the small stage that's there
2: perfect Uh,
0: that was great it it was a good time but anyways um and so he's got his specific voice that people want to hear and clearly they're paying for it so he's going to be the ultimate call and you know I guess it's a type of album that maybe will push things out to let the other players do their thing. Like I think on a jazz album, everybody's got their own space. Uh, even though the, the composer and the, or the lead guitarist or whatever has the head written and directs it, there's right. still a lot of room in that direction for the people to take it. And that's what they're paying for. They're not paying for like, I just want somebody to play these notes. They're like, yeah, this cat can handle this and handle the notes, so I'm going to do that. And this is my own thinking on it. I haven't been in a jazz session for obvious reasons. Um, the uh, So that's how I think things function there. But in the uh, other sessions, it's more of... I have my own particular voice that I'm going for and I want things to fit what I hear in my head. And that's kind of it. You can come up with a cool idea, but you know, well that'll always be weighed against my ultimate vision of things. Yeah,
1: I guess it, I mean Certainly I'm coming from a jazz background, but I grew up playing in bands. Like I mean I started a band we were we were like eleven, ten, you know, we could barely I don't even know if we could play power chords, you know, <laughs> like we were, that's how, and we were, we started making music and like, we would make music as a band and it was like this creative process where it might take you six months to write a song, a simple song, but it's like, it was such a collective effort. Everyone's personality somehow ends up in it. And I think at the end you end up with a better product because of it. Or like, you know, you, you come up with like a riff and you bring it to the band and then the band turns it into a song. Mm-hmm. And now you've got this thing. And it's like that. I always loved that experience. And that was all this rock, you know, whatever music. Like al- alternative rock, punk, whatever. Um, And uh, it's always, it, like that's been a huge disappointment for me in general in the more professional music world. It is it's very, very difficult to get that. Um, professional musicians to even do that. One, you can't afford the rehearsal time.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a, that, that's a but. Uh, right? But it's <laughs> like, man,
1: you you do you do such a disservice, or not a disservice, but it never gets to its potential because people are just reading charts. And as good as I may or may not be at writing music out on a piece of paper for a saxophone player to play, that saxophone player if they were to bring their own like flavor to it and be like, Oh, you know, did you ever think about trying this or let's do this? I, I see what you're kind of going for there, but it would be cool if I went like this instead. Cause yeah. And yeah. you'd be like, Oh yeah. I, I'm always like, that would be awesome. You should do that. But no, mm-hmm. no one does that. They just read it. And you're like, well, I'm not perfect. I don't think anyone is at writing all these pieces and parts but, no, probably ever. And uh, people can hate me that are like Bach fans or Wagner or whatever. <laughs> I was just gonna
0: say you're forgetting about Bach, but continue. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> jerk. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he, he. <laughs> Bach already knew all the instruments that were gonna come and destroy his music over the next exactly. 300 years that were never even invented when he was alive. But yeah, uh, what was
0: it? sorry I I am going to take it right here. There was a a comic strip where it had this guy with a solo saxophone and yeah. it uh, it has him going like this is an arrangement of Bach's first cello suite for saxophone. And <laughs> the next uh, picture is you just hear no! Like it's written over the whole thing and then it yeah. just like follows it across the earth to the burial place of Bach. <laughs> you know, it's like it's coming from his grave. <laughs> Uh, oh, total music nerd dreamer on that one, but that would, that was absolutely hysterical. Anyways,
1: no, uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but well, but th- then that's that's also an interesting point about a lot of the. I'm gonna say the earlier classical composers, pre 1950, in particular, in that a lot of a lot of even just becoming a pos- composer meant learning all the instruments, like. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. There's all kinds of stories of Mozart playing piano and cello and violin and whatever other, inst- you know, like every, he knew, he, you have to get like somewhat intimate with those instruments to even have any clue how to write for them. And while I've played some saxophone and while I've played some, actually, I have saxophone, I have clarinet, I have flute, and I can really, I could fake a non musician out a little bit on them, but I'm not, you know not very apt on them but at least I know a little bit and that does help with writing for it but do I know like extended techniques and all these kind of things and do I understand where good places to get breath are which notes stick out better than other notes and which you know or even how to tell a horn player how to do those things like that's that's a lot of study and like even if you kind of know how to play the instrument, you may or may not know how to do those things. So I I guess my point to all that is when you can bring in a song or bring in an idea for a song with great musicians, they're going to add stuff to it that's going to make it better than you could have ever done. And that's been my experience every single time. Like, Never have I been like, I wish you would just play my drum part that I put in the drum machine, you know. <laughs>
0: like but you do have but, calls. So
1: but that's... I, but I do feel like that's what it, like Satriani does. Like it's like, well, that's what I put in the drum machine, so that's what you're gonna play, you know, a little bit. And it's like, if man, you just,
0: go, you just, I still love you. <laughs> it,
1: but uh, it's like, well, and I think he knows that. I don't. I don't yeah, think he would. Yeah. I don't think he would disagree. No, he I, would say, know, I, I want control not. over that. And I, I did see an interview somewhere recently where he said that he was relinquishing some of that control because he's. He's like, I have Mike Keneally and all these guys in my band. Like, well, like I started thinking like, why am I telling them exactly what to play? <laughs> like they could just come up with it themselves and it would be fine. And it's like, it'd probably be better. And it's like, yeah, it would, it would be better probably. I'm um, just
0: of boy of sash, that's all. So, <laughs> you yeah, know, it was
1: kind of, it's an interesting, it. So then there's that too. It's like, well, I just wanted it to be simple. You're telling me, okay, well you could bring Mike Mangini in it and tell him to play a simple drum beat and he will you know like it's not like it's gonna be like no i'm not i'm gonna do this crazy phil instead and you're like but i don't want that you're assuming that you're hiring people that you appreciate what they bring to music um you would trust their taste i would think you would mm-hmm. you would trust them to come up with parts this is ignoring the whole like well, we only have two days in the studio, so yeah, <laughs> that's all exactly. We can have, that's all the record company gave us was two days, so that's a whole another problem. But it's like you'd like to think that you would want those personalities to come out. It, sorry to keep going here, but it reminds me of the no, the, the, De, the Devin Townsend Empath album. He mm-hmm. has three different drummers on there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I saw that, and
1: um, he let them do their thing. Like you can tell, you can tell that he had. Um, a composer's vision of what they should sound you know like what he wanted certain things to happen but each three those three different drummers really do sound quite a bit different Mm -hmm. and what's interesting that album actually still sound doesn't sound like there's three different drummers in a way but you you could easily pick it out if you knew who they were um, and they and, and he let but he, but he what's that sorry I said I pity
0: the guy that has to learn those parts <laughs> oh yeah. well yeah so
1: that's that that was an interesting thing too is they talked about like the tour and then who it was one of those three guys was gonna get the tour sort of thing and had to learn all the parts um, <laughs> and actually two of them at least have learned all the parts and they're both just incredible drum like incredible oh, yeah, right for sure um, but the one guy is like this like blast beat like monster like just. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has a channel samus 66 or something like that dude is a just oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's funny he's a funny dude too so he's he's a worthwhile channel i will try to link it here if i remember but uh he he just like like the crazy like death metal blast beat stuff like it's just unreal so like devin hired that guy because that's what that guy does he mm-hmm. didn't say oh you know what i know you can do that but i just want you to do like the lars ulrich thing on this song <laughs> and it, and it was like look at this like this guy is incredible i want to bring that thing to my record like he had a vision like that's what so i like to think that that's what you do when you make a record you're saying well these are the people that i want on the record because they bring their thing but anyway kind of going off a a little bit but it still comes back to the you hire those people (laughs) in in Devin's case in particular like those drummers brought something unique. Each one of them. One was more of a Zappa-ish drummer. One's like the blast beat drummer. One's more of like a gent drummer, and they they had their their thing. So you you grab from each one of them their stick their stick and go from that, um, as opposed to just hiring somebody who's very good at mimicking anything.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but that you kind of like when you said that yeah i i was half joking about a pity the guy that did that but that then you brought up the blast beat guy and it's like yeah. you know, if you're a guy that's pretty well versed in most styles but you're not 100 on that particular it's like all of a sudden you have to learn this new technique in a relatively short amount of time if you got the gig yeah. it's like here you go that's uh you know you got the gig awesome i'm gonna finally my, my big break by the <laughs> way you gotta put these parts Oh, my God. And then all you do is, like, sit there with, like, practicing it and sticking your legs in ice so you can... Well, that, that's an interesting play.
1: thing, too, though. So, so if you hire somebody else to do that gig, presumably who you like, would you tell them that they have to play those parts exactly? Or would you let them do their own spin on it? So I think I would let them do their own spin on it. You know, there's certain things that would be important to keep. But otherwise, go from there, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean unless like it was a really specific thing to a song like if there was one part where it's like the blast beat was feeding it into it directly it's yeah. like well that yeah. you can't you got to play that part you can't do your own thing <laughs> um at which point if he's like oh god here we go it's like that when i was talking about that thing from the the, the damma game <laughs> You know, now that I've realized I could have done that classically, and I uh, peak all the levels in the mics here, but uh, <laughs> now that i realize I could have I done that. I can't hear but, anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, my car speakers are blown. The, um, like the, Doing that with AMI was like so much easier than trying to do it with just a pick. <laughs> like just Trying to do it with a pick was crazy. I had to build up all this endurance, and of course, like I said in that particular podcast, at the end of the show, at the end of the run, I figured it out, just doing it AMI. I'm like, really? Like really, <laughs> that's it. Right, okay, okay. What, whatever. Um, so that uh, I think, like you know, that it was a good extension of the technique, though. That's what I, I liked in the sense of like it was challenging enough. It was a simple song. I mean, it was F sharp, just hanging on that and doing one four fives in a country vibe. But the uh, that still expanded my technique. And I enjoyed that aspect of it. So to kind of counterpoint your idea of, like, do you just serve the song, or, you know, do you have your own voice, do those lines are, and so on, like, not to counterpoint it, but just to kind of throw something in, like an asterisk on it, it's like, there's also the aspect of working for somebody else that wants something specific, and they get the, uh, your door's opening, or you, some type of ghost is appearing behind you. I don't know if you oh, see nice. that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so the, uh, um, Probably a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyways, the uh, the aspect of getting in there and learning something that you never would have engaged in before, because of the uh, technical aspect, is I, I like that. Like I enjoy that, and that's why I kind of like playing the the classical thing and getting in there and having to play somebody else's part because it, it's something I never would have thought of. You know, it's like as much as I like my own brand, quote unquote. Uh, it's yeah. uh, getting pushed from other artists is a heck of a lot of fun.
1: Oh, I mean, this is not saying like, oh, I only play my own parts too. I mean, I I think anyone would play specific parts. Yeah, I I, I mean, that's what you you're you're playing somebody's song. Mm-hmm. But you might bring your own tone to it or you know, or you, the way that you do vibrato, you know? You're not like trying to copy the Clapton vibrato or something, you know, like and yeah, you're like doing yeah. like your style or the way you slide in the notes and all the little intricacies, intricacies that make you sound like you, as opposed to trying to nail something else down. I don't know.
0: Yeah. No. Exactly.
1: It it does remind me too of a who was it? Do you know Do you know Lee Rittenhauer?
0: No. He's
1: he's kind of like a big, smooth jazz kind of thing. But he also was a session guitarist. Played on, like, hundreds of records or whatever. Anyway, he... There was an article. I, I remember it was in a guitar magazine or whatever. And uh, Barbra Streisand's people contacted him to do a tour. And he was like, oh, I don't really want to do Barbara Barbra Streisand tour. He like, didn't really, like wasn't his favorite kind of music or whatever. Yeah, I, I get it. And then, um, but he was like, you never say no, right? You say, well, my price is some really big number. Mm-hmm. And so they sent it, and they said, okay, cool. And then he's like, so I, I did the tour, and I I enjoyed every moment of it. <laughs>
0: there you go. It's amazing when you get to check how you go, it wasn't right. so bad.
1: So... <laughs> So as much as I um, work more towards the uh, – t- typically when I do gigs now or when I play with anyone, it's to sort of just be me, I guess. Um, but I would happily – I do have a price for the gig where I would try to sound like anybody you want. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just basic economics. I don't think anybody yeah, right. gets it's 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 like when some students are like well you know i don't think i sound like anybody else i'm like well that that's a really crappy frame of reference to be blunt i mean like isn't you, that a good I, thing no no i think it's a terrible thing like personally you know to not it, sound it, like anybody else no no let me let me define it and then it'll make sense if you're advertising something and you say, this is completely different than anybody else. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: You're never going to get somebody that's even, like, remotely going to be that interested You're in You're talking
1: it. about when you, like, you want to book a, your band. Yes, exactly. And are like, who do you sound like? Well, we're original. Nobody sounds yeah, like exactly. us. Yeah, right.
0: It's a, The typical rookie pompous mistake with that, you run into a lot of rookies. Um, doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means that they're, they're the simple mistakes like that. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, I see that, and I'm just like, oh. Oh come on! You know it's like you you do sound like somebody else. You you have the influences as part of you. That's just that's just life. Unless you were raising a box with an instrument that was hopefully in tune. I mean, what are you going to do? Come out of there with an an instrument that's wildly out of tune, creating this new thing? I don't think it would go too far. Who knows? I I could be wrong. You know, you never know. It. uh, Well, if you're going to
1: say you sound like nobody else, first off, you better not be playing guitar. (laughs) (laughs) or saxophone or like any instrument that we know of so if you you if you invented your own instrument in some sort of way and everyone in the group did and you invented your own amplification system you know whatever yeah like like perhaps you do sound like somebody else but yeah if you if you're a rock band with (laughs) you know (laughs) two guitars bass drums two singers or whatever
0: yeah yeah um, that's,
1: you that's, probably that's, sound like somebody
0: proof the point there um but with the studio playing that like what we were driving at at the beginning it's like when you get, with that and i mean this is from our limited experience and then you got the guys that are the pro studio players like tim pierce yeah. on, i don't know his uh, youtube channel and uh, it's tough his stuff is really tasty like, his licks are great man you know really cool stuff he knows how to yeah. service awesomely i mean clearly you don't get a call back if you're this like out of the box player on a typical rock tune that's like eh, what we're going for this is a pop thing just kind of like do it but, but he's done
1: he he might be the ultimate and it's not in a negative way i would never be able to know if he played on something mm-hmm. i would never be like oh that's definitely tim pierce perhaps if i was like a student of like studio guitarist yeah, I, I might be able to notice the little things
0: um, well, it's like, did you know he did the uh slide guitar for uh, what's that goo doll song? The number one thing, uh, Iris, that huge song back mm-hmm. way back in the He did all the lead guitar work on that, cool. Which is like, oh, yeah, yeah I didn't know.
1: He's on, he's on, an, uh, yeah, an amazing guitar player. Congratulations!
0: Sounds... I... That was a thing that happened. Like, you have a band and then you pay somebody else to come in and play guitar for you. Oh, yeah, that's that kind of, like, blew my mind. I'm like, I thought it was just the Goo Goo Dolls. And maybe that's that's clearly coming from an ignorance, uh, ignorant spot on, or a blind spot on me. But it's, uh, like, wait, really? Like, uh, if I had a band and we all played the instruments, <laughs> I, I'm not paying for somebody else to show up, you know? Uh, you hear
1: that if you ever listen to, the, you know, like, Rick Beato talks about those kind of things. Oh, okay. He had, he had that one band that he produced or, like, they were under his management or something, and they got signed by uh who's the big uh who's the big record company guy what's his name like the ultimate anyway uh, um i'm totally blanking like the biggest name in record companies ever clive davis clive davis's label whatever you know clive davis right no probably probably, (laughs) he's like the big scar smoking you know like we're going to make you a star kind of person, yeah. You know? <laughs> but uh, anyway, he, you know he signed like every big band ever. And he signed this band, and they had a great singer, and they had a cello and all that stuff. And of course, they assigned this producer to do it, and Rick wasn't going to produce it. And they really liked the girl, and they basically were like trying to get rid of the band <laughs> to fill it in with the studio people. And like the real band didn't actually... Play on or whatever—it's like this whole mess. Like, so they, here they signed the band because they all loved it, and they had all these different record labels all wanting to do it. And when they got it, they assigned somebody to do it, and then they like tore the band apart <laughs> to put out a record that some <laughs> producer said, "Well, let's do my—we're going to do my song, or do these
0: songs, or whatever instead," you know. Which happens pretty common. Yeah, you it's know, like, like it's like all the time a that stuff. Could have been signed and just gotten literally used for a tax write-off <laughs> like in the sense of like you're signed great recording we're just going to spend the money on you so we can And this other guy's got the spotlight where the season uses a write-off oh yeah. So, you know, or yeah whatever
1: i knew like when i lived in new york city i i knew i got to meet a lot of people who had signed major label deals and were still in debt <laughs> you know
2: yeah i mean it was because the it, bands it,
1: got disbanded or whatever and like Yep. They got advances, and some of the people in the band. Well, they every, everybody used the money, you know, and then they yeah. didn't and even did. put an album out,
0: <laughs> which is crazy. But you know, that's part of the business. I mean, it it gets dirty. I mean, it still is dirty. That's part of it. You're always gonna. You got guys that are really good. Like I would put Piatto into that category, and then you got scumbags that are just there to kind of take the you know, to use the term take the corporate part of it, and that's it.
1: Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's funny. Like you said, they're like, "Why didn't they not use the people in the band?"
0: <laughs> you know? That's what you've heard the whole time. So why wouldn't you just use that? And who knows? You know, it, maybe it's like he, the lead guy or whatever his name was was like, "Man, I really hear a slide guitar part on this, but I can't play slide, and nobody else could." to the level where they really thought it was effective so it's like well let's call this guy in he's got some good ideas Like I can see that maybe
1: happening too. maybe I, I'm betting yeah. it was more like the producer was like this needs some slide on here I know the guy I'm gonna call him up right now don't worry yeah. we'll put it on your advance you know I mean?
0: <laughs> but again maybe another part of that too is that it was for a soundtrack and not their own material
1: maybe that, I don't know.
0: That they're, they're paid to write a tune for uh, City of Angels uh, which that I mean, I, I remember the movie and the tune, but you know, I never saw the movie, but I, I remember the song, um, and that uh, that's why they were like a little bit more. It wasn't like the Goo Goo Dolls as the Goo Goo Dolls, and this is the Goo Goo Dolls album. It was a one-off single for a, yeah. a movie. Who knows what was going to happen with it? So, I mean, it was a great tune, you know, in the sense of very memorable and everything else. But
1: uh, I don't remember but, it, but.
0: i probably remember
1: it if i heard it but i don't remember the name of it and that
0: was one of the ones that it's in it one of the weirdest tunings it was like all b's and then a d Hmm. or maybe it was the other way around a b in the lowest string and everything else was d either way it was a crazy altered tuning so i was uh, i was
1: talking to somebody the other day about (laughs) it was kind of like what are albums that you're supposed to like but you don't like and then it kind of got into like what Bands are you supposed to like, but you don't like? And,
0: uh, I think I saw this on your Facebook page. That there, and, are we
1: talking Radiohead? No. Well, some people put Radiohead. Okay. I guess, but I I love Radiohead. uh It wasn't on my Facebook page this particular conversation, but I, I kind of got to the point where I'm like, well, I struggle with some certain errors, but one of the ones that is like to me is like just the worst is I really love, like, the grunge scene. Like, the whole, like, early 90s grunge scene. Like, that first... The first groups, like, they were all so awesome. And even, like, Rage Against the Machine. Like, that stuff's all awesome. and But, like, the second, third wave of, like, grunge is, like, my least favorite. (laughs) So, like, like, the Goo Goo Dolls and Bush and uh, Weezer and, like... Uh... I don't even creed and all that. Stuff. like, I can't like, it's like my least favorite kind of error of music ever. That's sort of like, like late nineties. Nirvana, 90s,
0: was, what's Nirvana that? was first wave. Nirvana, sound, yeah, Darkness, nerd, right. all, jam, all those guys. Um, and you know nirvana was a band that was like i listened to music like crazy until i really got into playing guitar and then i thought it was garbage because they're like oh this is so easy you know type of thing not getting the point you know i can see the look on your face like what the hell is wrong with it? and i didn't get the point of the music you know i was still it's, it's like into the sash crazy electric guitar thing and i measured everything in that regard yeah, sure it's just typical teenage idiocy but um <clears throat> You know, now looking back and seeing what they were in terms of the counter movement, you know, and the same things happens with classical music, where it went from romanticism to serialism to uh, uh, what's it, minimalism to aleatoric music to like uh, the pendulum just swings back and forth. I think get sick of it. And I was talking with a friend of mine today just to kind of um, get a little bit. What was your point again? I lost your point. I'm tired. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, I think this applies. Uh, that's why. It, otherwise my brain wouldn't function that way. So we were talking about like how it's like the eighties again. And yeah. it's like, uh, you know, the, the fashion is back, which is God only knows why. Cause it didn't look good back then. And it sure as hell doesn't now. Um, and <laughs> Looks good it, on
1: me though. Yeah. yeah anyway.
0: to, <laughs> you're wearing like grunge stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like we're both in sweaters. <laughs> yeah. So, but I have,
1: I have tight pants on. Don't worry.
0: Oh, you got the, you got the ends rolled up, you know, yeah. to, there's holes
1: over? in them. And like, yeah, <laughs> my butt's hanging out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so the, 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 I got the chef pants on you know, or whatever. Oh, wait, um, no, I'm
1: sorry. I just have biker shorts on.
0: <laughs> oh, Those haven't come
1: back yet. So there's still time.
0: That's not, that's, 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 well, let's, let's yeah. hope that, you know, the cold or whatever it ends us all before that happens. Uh, protect us from the biking pants. Um, all right.
1: Sorry. Go. Continue. No,
0: but like you know, and I was remarking that in music, it's like guitar has kind of flourished with the second renaissance of crazy uh, technique and extended stuff. Whereas you know, we came; it was the '80s, and then the counterculture or the counter movement of the grunge, where guitar went from crazy flashy leads and all this eclectic work to you know, now we're demonetized, uh, and then uh, into you know, this simpler in the sense of. It's, it wasn't stupid, but it was definitely a counter push on the elaborate hair metal shreds fests, and then you know it went into the two thousand where almost guitar kind of disappeared, like it wasn't the central thing anymore. It's completely and,
1: disappeared now
0: see i would I would say on the radio, yes and no, but like in pop, yeah, totally like it it's almost completely gone, yeah,
1: I mean for a while there I mean nirvana was just as popular as Whitney Houston,
0: yeah. Exactly.
1: So who who is playing guitar right now that's as popular as Katy Perry and Taylor Swift? Well, Taylor Swift's playing guitar. But I mean, like, where's the guitar band that's as popular? Like there's, 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 there's nothing even close. Not even in, like, the Stratosphere.
0: Taylor? Just Taylor or something? I don't know. It, Beato was talking about it on his top ten. It was actually pretty freaking cool. Like, he played the track, and I was like... Oh, that's in seven. And he's like, this is in seven. And I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah it's
1: one thing. I mean, one hits, whatever, that doesn't count. I'm, uh, see, I'm, okay. But I'm stamping it down here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that doesn't count. It needs to be a full length album, not these one offs. Yeah, right. Um, I don't know. I don't think they exist anymore. You know, like, even U2 has kind of disappeared, but they're all old, older, and that isn't happening. And I, 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 I
1: had written a, a going all over the place, and I kind of hope I can get back to the point where I was thinking of a second ago, but which is, I wrote this, this uh, blog post a couple years ago, and it, I had looked at the Rolling Stone top 100 guitarists, and I kind of went through the top 10. So this is Rolling Stone, right? You know, it's like yeah. a popularity contest. And what was interesting to me was the youngest person on the list was like 65 or something. <laughs> it's like, we even had a like a guitar hero. So the last guitar hero, and there's one caveat to this was probably like Slash in a way and uh, in a sense of like the soloist guitar player Uh, John Mayer's kind of there and then you also have other guitar hero people like Tom Morello and whatever (laughs) that a little bit um, not so much about soloing or whatever but they brought a certain style and Kurt Cobain for that matter Um, but yeah it was kind of funny like But on that list, Eddie Van Halen was the youngest person on the list. You know, on the top ten.
0: It was like Clapton Page, uh, Keith Richards. Yeah,
1: B.B. King. um, I'm trying to remember who all they were. But it was people like that. Jeff Beck.
0: And I would put them up there.
1: Yeah, they were all fantastic. (laughs) But it was like, is it even possible to have... Anyone younger than Eddie van Halen get on that list like could anyone even come in now and be in the top ten
0: well the, the the I think that list is more of the pop crossover for lack of a better term like all those guys played in big bands that played non guitar as much as it was guitar specific it's not like you know animals as leaders now where it's just you know you're clearly listening that for guitar only as a as a guitar player, like you can like the music, but most of the guys that listen to that music play guitar or drums, or yeah, or, or some, they're an yeah. instrumentalist and they have the instrumentalist mind to it. Whereas the the Van Halen and you know Led Zeppelin and all those things, those are those are band bands, like and their guitar just happened to have the big flavor to it. And that's not a poo poo on any of the stuff that they've done, but I think like the measuring stick that they would use as listeners is nowhere near what. Musicians would do as performers, and just guys that knew the the thing. Like if I were going to do like top ten guitar players, and I, I wouldn't have been any of them on there. Not in a disrespectful way, but I would look for the ones that are doing things that are well beyond what I'm capable of, and had staying power and are continuously writing. You know, those were I would be like this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, so this guy.
1: J- Jimmy Page wouldn't be on there, Ben.
0: If I was going to go with in terms of well,
1: so like. You would put Tosin above Jimmy Page,
0: and technically, absolutely. Like, and I think Tosin is really doing a lot of stuff. And by the in, way,
1: I love I love Tosin. But
0: yeah, okay, so do I. But, I, I. I get what you're going for on that, and I think that's a matter of like comparing apples to oranges. Where I think Tosin wasn't going for the "We're going to be a band with a singer" and go this route. You know, where we're supporting things in a particular way. He's doing it in terms of this is a guitar-focused band, and even himself. Like, I love the way that he came up as animals, as leaders, because he got signed as him, but he yeah. didn't want it to be, like, him.
1: The Tosin band, yeah. So, right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which is, like, kudos to him. Uh, though it is a Tosin band. <laughs> he can say that <laughs> all that he wants. It's totally him. Uh, the, I mean, the other guy, Xavier, is a great player in, in his own right. But um, I really think that Tosin's the, the, the backbone of that and the draw. Like, no if he left, at
1: this point. now, yeah.
0: Yeah, it'd be, like, there is no animals as leaders. Um, sure, sure. So, yeah, I think that's a perspective that I'm going through. Like, I like Jimmy Page's stuff. I'm, I'm clearly not, like, in any delusional way being like, what an incompetent buffoon. You know, it's it was great. But the guys that, if I were going to pick a top ten now, that really get me like, wow, that's, that's interesting and that's cool. It, no, not even close. Like, even Tosin, it, it, he'd be on the list, but it would be such obscure guys you know, it'd be like the musicians, musician, musician, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and that's just part of what happens when you get specialized. Oh, um, sure.
1: I'm, I'm not trying to pick on you. either. I, I, there was something you said that was about um, somebody who's constantly writing and evolving. And, and so Jimmy Page easily falls into that category. Uh, you know, um, somebody who is, well, at least to a certain age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, was doing that i mean every zeppelin album is like new and fresh and sound, that sounds different than the one before it mm. in, in that respect actually much more innovative than animals leaders no offense which has effectively made the same album like five times in a row um slightly improving their procedure for it but you if you if you play like a mix of the albums of animals of leaders unless you really knew all the tunes very well, you probably couldn't tell me which album they were on.
0: And that's why I was going to argue with you right away. i like, I know there's differences. I can pick it right out. Uh, Where you know. I
1: think in the Zeppelin one, you'd be like, oh, that's that's clearly later Zeppelin. That's clearly earlier Zeppelin. That's cr- clearly this era. You know, like there's, there's a lot of growth in that band um, over 10 years. I mean, the first album doesn't sound anything like the last album. So it's it's kind of interesting. Um, some bands can get away with that. Also, in that topic, I thought that was about the the bands you should like or and you and you don't. Um, it's kind of like I was. You're, and you mentioned Radiohead. There's not that many bands that actually do that. That actually evolve that much. Like Radiohead, I think is one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Beatles were. Led Zeppelin were it gets a lot harder for me after that list to name bands that really do evolve a lot over time and don't sort of repeat the same flavor over and over again. I
0: would say you do to an extent because like everything before you can easily demark before Octung Baby, after Octung Baby, because that was a radical departure. Like, it was shocking to to, to myself because I, like, loved them. And then that came out. I was like, what is this? It's not even on the same – and kudos to them. You know, at the time, I was offended. It's true. Offended. There's,
1: there's that sort of, like, yeah, like the 90s stuff. Definitely doesn't sound like Joshua Tree.
0: Yeah, so, not even close. And then the latest stuff is kind of a throwback and a mixture of both, which I think is kind of cool.
1: Yeah, no. So they, I think they would fall into that category. But, yeah, I mean, the list is not very long. Yeah. We, we yeah. were also talking, like, like toll like – the new Tool album, which I can appreciate, but, and I know there's some new stuff and I'm going to get some slack if certain people I know listen to this, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like, I feel like they knew they were doing the Tool brand on the new album. It's like in 20, it was like, I don't I remember how long was it between records, 15 years or something. It's I like,
0: 15, something like that.
1: It's like, you couldn't, you like you didn't listen to anything new, like you, not, nothing of your style changed or evolved like in that 10 15 years like nothing like you didn't <laughs> you didn't listen you know, I mean, to anything I, new that you like filtered into your plane?
0: that's a good i mean in one sense i think uh Maynard like who's like i'm on a first name basis with the dude um but you know he uh has so many different projects yeah. where they're all. he, really he
1: seems to compartmentalize problems.
0: them yeah yes, too. exactly and that's what i would be like you know in his shoes he was just uh, Clearly, I'm speaking off the top of my head here, or blowing a trumpet out my butt, one of the two, but the the point is, is the brown note. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. The, uh, <laughs> the point is, is that uh, he definitely has his uh, flavors set and specific towards one thing, and like he probably would be like no we're doing a tool thing and this has got to be this particular way we can't break or not break the mold but we can't evolve to a certain extent it's got to be something that's a throwback and who knows maybe that's why they took so long to, to the next album god only knows i i enjoyed it you know i thought it was uh it, it was good to hear new stuff from them regardless if it sounded like tool mm-hmm. it was still new material you know and um and that's a that's a kind of an interesting question. Just like if you have a band with a brand and a certain sound, and you want to evolve, at what point does it stay the same thing, or does it radically depart and become something else? Like I th- maybe that's why he did a perfect circle and Lucifer and all the other stuff. So,
1: well, it's like I think there's two sides of that. What bands can get away with it, and which bands oh, can't good. can't get away with it? Because I, I think there's probably a lot of bands that were once something. But then they made the 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 fresh new album that was different, and it didn't sell, or and then it it just the band fell apart, and they never evolved beyond that. Where like Radiohead or whatever did change their sound a lot, but their fans loved that, like their their fans ate it up. And how do you get the fan base that will eat up anything new that you come up with, as opposed to the fan base that's like. They were so much better on the first album, you know, or whatever.
0: Like, I was just going to say, like, you take Metallica and Radiohead, yeah. whereas Metallica had their particular sound up through the Black album. Yeah. And then with, like, the St. Anger and Load and Reload, it it was like, everyone's, what the hell is this? Like, you know, it was kind of them, but it wasn't the same aggression yeah. or whatever people perceived. I wasn't, like, huge into them. And then, like, I and there were, at the time when they were big, quote unquote, I wasn't big into Radiohead either. I was just like, okay, you know, it's Radiohead. It wasn't until I got good headphones and and to, to no, I'm that's in that regard. You know, it's like sure. really could hear everything that was going on. I was like, oh lord, this is incredible. Oh yeah. Um. So the um, I think like Radiohead had a vibe around it that was it's a vibe around them that's so new and continually new that everybody didn't know where they were going to go anyways. Yeah. Like there wasn't like a typical, like, Oh, that's Radiohead style. It's like, you're, you're putting a style on them. So, but, but know, at like, the
1: same time, like they're so identifiable, like it's like within seconds you can know it's them, but it sounds nothing like the other thing you heard from them.
0: I don't, that's K To okay. Computer is like, did you get dropped on your head before yeah. you went to the studio? But that's not, that's not a knock on it. The, the, the difference is clearly a, a creative outlet. Yeah, but too.
1: somehow it all works together in some mm-hmm.
0: mash. And that goes to... I'm, I'm a,
1: definitely a Radiohead fanboy at this point.
0: Yeah. The, the more I, I could hear what they were doing, it made a difference. Like, listening to it on the radio or whatever in the background, I never got what was going on. I just thought it was electronic mess, to be blunt. you know. And then when I got good headphones and was like, all right, everybody's raving about this OK computer, and I put it on, it was like, whoa, OK, yeah. that's pretty cool. And especially once I got into enough of production where I know how hard that is to yeah. do that like you only have so much of a canvas to paint with the neural mm-hmm. spectrum and keep it all so that it's, it's like it's unreal well i mean
1: be- besides all the textures and stuff i just think like when you talk about songwriting like i'm like man there's such good songwriters mm-hmm. and yeah. like such a like unique take on it you know when everybody's like you everyone's already done everything you know it's like yeah when i hear them i don't i don't hear that i hear like just extremely creative but like well like super well crafted songs and i think they do it and this is another place where somebody if anyone's still listening is gonna (laughs) gonna give that is like i think they're way better at it than the beatles were
0: oh yeah hands down i mean i was gonna the the beatles
1: albums like they have amazing songwriting obviously but i feel like half the albums on like every one of their albums are like throwaway tracks
0: Oh, dude, I, I am the, I, I will do one other and throw down the gauntlet on the Beatles and be like, if they didn't have their producer, they weren't going to go anywhere. Like, all the arranging and everything else wasn't them. And you can hear that on the the, the later album, solo albums. It's like, yeah, you guys definitely work together better under the studio <laughs> with the, uh, what's the way to put it? John Martin? Is that who their producer was? Uh,
1: Jim Martin, I think, maybe.
0: Something like that. I... But anyway, he was a classically trained composer, and he knew what to do with the instrumentation and put that all together. Is that like John Lennon showed up and he was like, I think we need a, a marching band for this particular part. I think it was like the, uh, him that did most of the work on that regard. I mean, they, they did the same thing, uh, that the Google Dolls kind of interject and tie those together, is he would just sneak in other musicians to play the parts for him. So got, Ringo wasn't getting it. Okay, why don't you go take a lunch for an hour and a half? Calls up a jazz drummer. Come in and nail this. Boom, chink. And then Ringo comes back and they play it back for him, and it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah. see? I, I sounded great
1: on that take, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, so that's where I'm kind of at with the Beatles. I, I mean, My total take on the Beatles is I just think they're the British version of NSYNC for the 1960s.
1: Oh, so, man, that's not okay.
0: <laughs> so maybe this will get us some that, comments. That'll that, get some that's, comments. That's, cl-
1: that's clearly not true. <laughs>
0: oh I, clearly I,
1: I, I, do, you ever, do you ever uh since we're go- we're just all over the place but kind of in the same line are you familiar with pet sounds the beach boys album yeah yep you're, you're like the backstory behind it and stuff too
0: no that, i just know I've, I've heard of pet sounds
1: so so the beach boys right which we all know because um, every time you go to a water park or something that's the music that plays or anytime you show a beach or something <laughs> play beach boys but there's an album called pet sounds which is like a masterpiece it's amazing it's an amazing album um that's definitely a headphone album like wow, my mind, really well. mind-boggling headphone album and and you're gonna say Oh, it's the beach boys like that's not that's not true so here's the deal with I'm not. The, I know. In that regard,
0: the reputation of that album totally perceives it. That's why I know. It. Oh I've yeah. Never... Okay. Yeah, so this. Mm-hmm. So here,
1: here's the deal with that album is, um, so Brian Wilson was kind of the brains behind the Beach Boys a little bit. He was kind of like a, mu- like a music savant. Mm-hmm. Um, he hated touring. Like he wouldn't tour. Like he didn't want to be on the bus. It like drove him crazy, and he had like. I think he was really into drugs and just like whatever. So the band would go tour and he would stay home. Like they would hire somebody else to do his parts or whatever. And so during one of their tours, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm getting this story, right? So don't shoot the messenger, but it's fun for me to think of it this way. So don't ruin my story. But uh, (laughs) anyway, uh, Brian starts working on pet sounds and it's like his like pet art project, you know? But he's you know, it's the Beach Boys, like they're pretty famous at this point. Um, this is you know, after all the surfing USA stuff or whatever. So they have some money and some clout. And every they hire everything out. Like he hires all these musicians to play on it, like he um and it's all to tape too. Like this is tape before they could do multi-tracking, right? So they would record it and like unless you re-record that same part. Once you record it, you're bouncing more stuff on top of it and you can't go back and fix that cello part, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like when you start thinking about like the logistics of this thing uh, yeah. and uh, there's so many layers on this record um, and like, it's just like an arranging masterpiece. It's, it's really unbelievable album and like they, none of the other Beach Boys are on it at all. It's all Brian. <laughs> And all these studio musicians that he hired to play all these parts. <laughs> and, uh, and it was funny. It's funny and sad is like, it's really a cool album. It really is. Um, and it's, it's also what like inspired a lot of the, like the later Beatles records. Like they heard that and they were like, Whoa, like this is a crazy, and you you know, you know, some songs off of like God only knows. Um, you hear that in yeah. movies all the time, or um, which is a great song. And, uh, Anyway, so he he made this album. The record company hated it, I guess. And they weren't even going to release it. Um, cuz it didn't sound like the Beach Boys. Like it didn't sound like Surfing USA and all that crap, right? Like it was it was like actually like real songs and like like it's a pretty weird album sometimes, too. And there's like thick harmonies and all these like uh, it's just a really impressively made album and it sounds fantastic. So And he actually started working before they told him they weren't going to put that out. They weren't going to even put it out. He started working on a next album. And so they finally do put Pet Sounds out. I don't remember if the reception was good or not when it first came out. I think it wasn't until the Beatles were like, we really love Pet Sounds that it started to get some love. Um, But otherwise it was like, what's this crap they're putting out, you know? Um, But anyway, so Brian Wilson wrote another album called Smile. Same way, none of the other Beach Boys on it. He did it all, hired studio musicians, and somewhere the record company is like, "We are absolutely not putting that out, and you're never allowed to put that out." And then Brian basically went into like a deep depression and stopped writing, like pretty much forever. (laughs) (laughs) So a few. What's that? So a few years ago
0: yeah, they, that,
1: that, uh, they released yeah. Smile and, and a lot of the so- some of the songs are done but a lot of them are just like little sketches mm-hmm. and it's awesome. It's just it's really it's the same vibe as Pet Sounds and so he actually did a tour too um, That's with, right. with Jeff Jeff Beck did it with him.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So yeah. So he kind of came back but I don't know that he ever really wrote after that. It's really like Kind of sad.
0: I mean, did you he ever hear the song? I think it was the Bare Naked Ladies. Did the song "Lying in Bed" just like Brian Wilson did?
1: Oh, I don't did know if I heard that.
0: that. Yeah, it's just, that's part. Of, that's
1: part of that uh, late '90s thing that I really yeah. Couldn't Bare, stand.
0: The Canadian band uh, Bare Naked Ladies. You know, um, if I had a million dollars, that's where I was making the connection with Brian Wilson, mainly because of that song. So you know, it wasn't all bad. You could at least make it Wilson with that. That's right. There
2: you go.
0: That's a plus there. The um yeah, I I I'll have to check that out. I'll I'll do this. I will listen to pet sounds, I will throw on um, these particular headphones, sit in my listening chair over there and just Yeah,
1: and I want you to think about the fact that
0: this is all tape.
1: This is like tape. Mm-hmm. This is before multi this is like the first real like super multi track thing before multi tracking. <laughs> like they might have been able to do like two stereo tracks or something. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. But they couldn't.
0: One, one right and then yeah, it. but
1: I think the original one is actually in mono. So I'm not totally sure if that's true. So I think it might have all just been bounced and layered on top of each other. Like they would record on one tape, record on the other tape. And like, I, like this whole thing. It's crazy. It's crazy that it even worked. I found out, by the way, since we're going down this road, Mr. Bungle's California, they did it the same way. Like specifically, and that is an awesome. That's if I had to pick one album, like my favorite album probably ever is that is probably that album, and it's just it's the same way. It's like you listen to listen to that album in your headphones. It's like how they pulled that off, and then you hear the stories from the guys in the band. Like they like almost killed each other. It was so horrible, like dealing with the tape. And I think they even could multi-track because they use like a multi-track tape, but they did record to tape, so they couldn't go back and fix stuff after like so many layers and uh, you know, especially in today's like modern way where we can just fix anything, anytime and change it. Yeah. It was, uh, it, and to think about how, how arranged those albums are, it's just a mind boggling to me when I listen to them, but.
0: No. Yeah. I, and, and that's, you know, the, the, the nice, you have to wonder if the tools and Capabilities that we have now are limiting the aspects of what we do.
2: Hmm.
0: That might be a, a thing for another podcast to dive into, but you know, that's the old uh, uh, the the old adage of what does the limitless lack. Th- 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 like th- a zen th- cone <laughs> limits you know so it's like how th- and you just kind of sit there you know and enjoy your trip <laughs> while thinking about that thing but um the uh the other uh, the, like the part of that is like i wonder if the uh constriction or the blatant easily available things that are out there are Killing an aspect of creativity that would happen if there was strict constraints just by the physicalness of it, because you know, sure. um, it, it's it, who knows why uh, some virtuosity you tend to flourish in certain ages, you know. And we will look around now, and it's like, are musicians the same level as they used to be? Blah 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 blah. You know, and clearly, there's uh, answers of the technique has skyrocketed just because of the availability of it, but. You know, is there another Bach walking or a, a Mozart or, you know, a Stravinsky? Uh, oh, that's right. I want if tacking back on your familiarity with instruments on the composers, I believe this was Stravinsky. Maybe he wrote something. I think it was part of the Rite of Spring. And violinists were looking at the score and were like, how the hell do you play this?
1: Like,
0: <laughs> and he's like, perhaps, he handed him a violin. And he goes like this. You know, like, okay, I guess it can be done. And that was it. So just to kind of counterpoint the whole thing of like the extended techniques and the knowledge of the instrument. And maybe this ties in with my point is that they were so knowledgeable of the instrument, they didn't, they they lost the idea of being somewhat creative and pushing it outside the bounds. And they needed some guy that was like, well, these are the sounds that I want. Plunk. There it is. That's how you get it. And pushing it in a new direction because he knew just enough technique to be dangerous. You know, sure, in that regard. Who knows? Maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of the uh, the growth of things is that we get so specified and technical on it. And then all of a sudden, you need somebody that's not as technical, but therefore not as restrained because they know what can, in quote unquote, can't be done. It just goes and goes, oh, like this. And you're like, well, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> nope. So, and that's that. Uh, all right. So, the question is which one of the pet sounds do i want to get the 50th anniversary the remastered i'd love to hear it in stereo but that's me hmm Streaming yeah not- i'm not sure on that front i'll just grab the original I- and go from there <clears throat> yeah i don't know how much i will get into the uh what's what he put it the uh Wanting to hear this because just looking, I searched it on the Apple Music, and it's like the pet sound, the pet sound sessions, which could be interesting just to listen to <laughs> ninety songs. And I don't know if I have that much commitment. In the, oh yeah. I drive a lot, so it, but at the same time, I can't be wearing my hi fi stereo things in the car. Cause yeah, I guess it
1: de- it depends how much you like the record, but
0: yeah, I, there we go. If I really like it, I'll commit to doing the, the ninety things, but I will listen to this for next week, and I will throw on my good headphones to do it. Yeah, um, nice. Yeah, I
1: haven't I haven't tried it um, with any of my like I should do that with the grottos. Yeah, I'd be curious about the stereo. I, I think if they did it right, the stereo remaster or whatever, maybe that's good. I don't know. I, I'm like really skeptical about remasters. I don't yeah. Know, like the like those Led Zeppelin remasters that Jimmy Page did. Man, I think they sound horrible. <laughs> yeah, <I don't> know. <laughs> They're awful. I don't know what happened. There's. there's they sound like, I don't know, they're so scratchy sounding and like, there's high frequencies just like killing your ears the whole time. I don't know.
0: I'm but wondering if he...
1: Lost enough know, hearing that he couldn't hear this.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Same. So, I mean, outside of like the, the you know, this was before they had a hearing protection or any of the knowledge of what happened sure. to ears. And he's touring and recording. Out. The guy's ears were probably sensitive to some things, but otherwise it's like, you know, totally shot. <laughs> shot the hell. Um, yeah, it, uh, that's, uh, that's gotta be, I mean, it, it's funny. I'm going to get my ears checked tomorrow, like my yearly checkup. And it's like on my spectrum of stuff, it yeah. dips right around the human voice area. And then it goes right, like I'm losing my hearing in that spot. And they're like, do you need a hearing aid? Can you hear in crowds? I'm like, Yeah. I'm okay. Way to, like, scare the crap out of me. (laughs) It's like, oh, my God. Uh, And you're like, oh, you'll probably need hearing aids at some point. And I'm like, maybe. But at the the same time. I'm
1: not going to come back if you keep treating me like this. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Just good news, please. But I will say that, an interesting side note, the more I do recording and use good headphones, the more sensitive I am to stuff without the headphones on. Like, I can hear a lot more detail. And I think that's maybe because the mics show you what to listen to. Like, that training of that sensitivity of it. Like, because if that works with the Oliver Sacks thing, where he had, like, composers that all of a sudden would hear everything above, like, a D5 out of tune, even though it wasn't. They would play a keyboard, not a a, a piano, but like a synthesizer, and everything would sound out of tune over a certain pitch. And it's like it would just be that once it hit that range. So they had to retrain the brain to hear things in tune. Hmm. That music, Ophelia, was a book. Great book. Very very interesting because it was all about stuff like that and how the the brain and and music and the ears and it's not necessarily just the ear itself, but it's how it's connected to the brain and what that tells us what we're hearing. So the train like Rick Fiatto talking about losing his perfect pitch, you know, where he now he needs a reference stone to be able to hear around it because otherwise it, it, it's just gone because of age. So not that his ears are damaged to, the, to an extent, though there's probably some, you don't work in music and not have that happen. The counterpoint is, is it's just the circuitry is misfiring or something.
1: Yeah. That, uh, we're going on a little long maybe, but that reminds me like in in our house, in your house, it's funny, certainly I've had the most hearing loss in certain frequencies, I'm sure, because of just being in bands and like loud guitars yeah. and whatever. But because I'm like a trained listener, mm-hmm. like I can hear things in the house that no one else hears. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have that experience at home? Like, it's kind of like sometimes I'm like, why? How can I hear that and you guys can't hear that? Like, you can't center in on that thing happening.
0: And but I also get the reverse a lot too. They're like, why don't you hear that? And I'm like, hear mm-hmm. what? <laughs> so it's like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah,
1: there's there's c- certain range, yeah, right, that you're probably screwed in,
0: I guess. Yeah, I, I, you know, mm-hmm. I'll find out more tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I come from there. But, uh, yeah, I, I hmm. Uh, it's interesting i'm curious to see maybe i'll do a deep dive and see what like they're coming out with medically for hearing loss because the cochlear implants have been like huge and, and an incredible development it's awesome but they're also like in terms of hearing sensitivity they're only to like 3000 hertz and then that's it yeah so pianos they've d- had recordings or they've played pianos and recorded the sound that you get through the cochlear and it sounds awful like it's huh. distorted, it's really, really muddy, and because they were like, "Well, why don't they appreciate music now that they can hear?" You know, and it's like the human voice is great, but that also sits right on the three K lo- uh, spot, anyways. Um, so that was the big like, huh? And so there's literally a guy that has cochlear implants that is trying to become a, tr- or that. Uh, no, I think he's training to become. A pianist, not like classical concert thing, yeah. but just to be able to be competent on it to an extent to see if he can break that thing with the brain and the ear with the cochlear and get it going. So he likes so that to tor- torture
1: <laughs> himself. One of the
0: two. <laughs> Off time in purgatory. <laughs> so uh, this is and- the worst. <laughs> oh God, I hate my life. <laughs> so. Um, why did you give me this hearing? Um, <laughs> the, uh, dark sense of beam around that one
2: yeah
0: the, uh, the, but the, that being said, they are being able to get more and more of a sonic ra- like a spectral range with that it 's getting better and better and getting higher and higher up there, you know, it, but I got a feeling that you know in order to hear like the human ear, they 're going to need the equivalent of a Neumann on the side of your head it, it, it seriously the, to get that much range and then you got the power supply the engineering uh, aspects of it have got to be tremendous to overcome because it can't be hearing <laughs> a hearing helmet or whatever you know um and i might be one of those guys wearing one so it's kind of a of humor on that but the uh <laughs> the the whole point is that the tech aspect of it is still advancing, and I'm always curious to see like what they're doing to get things to what's normal. Because now that I ha- I've known them to have this damage, I'm like, I-, I, I wonder what normal sounds like. Oh, sure. You know, it's like with glasses, you can get that perspective. You put the glasses on, you can see, and you're assuming that it, that's what everybody else sees clearly. But with hearing, you know, louder doesn't mean the same. Yeah, no doubt, okay. no doubt. So I'm just like. Huh, I wonder if that uh, really will make a difference. If uh, if I could pull that range up and not just... Because I've tried to do it with a graphic EQ and stuff like that to see what the difference is, and it just ends up sounding really muddy in the middle. <laughs> you know, it's like, it just sounds really muddy. It doesn't sound any better. Um, so I, I, I'm, that'll be interesting to see later on what hmm. they do. Who knows? Cool. Uh, I think we're tapping out. <laughs> Maybe yeah, we should a little bit <laughs> to, to get rid of the dark humor that's
1: <laughs> nah, all good <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah exactly um, but yeah cool